This morning, uh, the reading of God's Word is going to come from Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 8 through 10 this morning. The Word says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kim. You guys can take a seat. Good morning again. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. And we are in the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm glad to be in this environment. I, I, last week was super awesome, the 18 baptisms. I love it. Just It was a lot of us together in there. Um, I love for us to be able to smaller gatherings like this, so I'm excited to kind of be back into our normal rhythm. Um, I want to pray real quick before we jump in. There's um, some context we've got to explain. I know we, we uh, weren't in Ephesians last week, so I want to catch some of you up who maybe are new or just jumping in with us and, and make sure we're all on the same page. So can I just pray real quick, pray that God would reveal uh, his text the way that he wants us to see it and that um, we would not get in the way uh, of any of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your word. Even as as Kim read it, um, just it resounds with life. And our our proclivity is really honestly to be distracted, just not just with things in the room, but in life to not really be able to hone in. So I would pray, Holy Spirit, um, not just have the word come to life to rebuke us, encourage us, train us in righteousness, um, not just have the ability to save us, but at the same time, give our minds and our hearts the ability to be still over the course of the next 35, 40 minutes for us to hear what you want us to hear. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds to understand. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you are new, uh, here's just a little bit of, uh, of, of where we're coming from. We started the book of Ephesians uh, at the beginning of the year, and we're going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, really slow. We're going to take almost, uh, honestly, through October to get uh, through the book of uh, Ephesians all the way through. And so it's two or three verses at a time. There's a couple points where we'll have longer sections, but honestly, that's going to be the normal deal. And it's a big Bible study together. We're just going to go at it, break it down, see what it says. And here's what we've gotten so far. In the, the first chapter of Ephesians, it had everything to do with what God has done in the areas of salvation and who Jesus is. So it was about Jesus. It was about what he's done. It was this word that we've used, soteriology, the study of salvation. We had a separate class on it because it used a lot of language that some of us um, maybe pushed against or didn't understand. And so it was a good time in uh, chapter one for us to understand the bigness of Christ and what he has done. Now, what chapter two did is it turned on a dime real quick. It takes the camera and it swings it from Jesus and it swings it to you and I. And the camera's on us. So it's, here's Jesus, here's what he's done, here's how powerful he is, here's his church, and you. This is how big and how good God is, and you. And it's not real good, right? So the first three verses, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that has now worked in the sons of disobedience. We were following our own passions and desires. We were following our own mind, sensual inclinations. All this is what we were bringing to the table. And then the camera goes back and goes, but God. This is how God responded to how you responded. And that was verses 4 through 7. And I want to read that real quick. Um, because that's, gonna, that's the section right before we get to, obviously, before 8 through 10. This is how God responded in our response 
um, in living the, uh, our lives the way that we have up to the point of knowing Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here's the statement. Here's how God responded. He saved you. Even though you were in this state, he came along and he acted in such a way that saved you. And now, here's what I want you to do. Look at your Bibles again. Look at verse 5 there. In the middle of verse 5, or actually at the end of verse 5, going into verse 6, he's making the statement of what God did, and then some of your Bibles are going to have it in parentheses, some of you are going to have it on a line on each side, but there's this statement, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and then he continues going on, and raised us up with him and seated us. So he's making these declarations, and then he makes just this, it feels very random, this, by grace you have been saved, this, 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 by grace you have been saved, and this, 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 it's just kind of in there. What he's going to do for verses 8 and 9, and then he's going to turn again on 10, but in verses 8 and 9, he's going to unpack that little statement, by grace you have been saved. Okay, so verses 8 and 9, that's exactly what he's going to do. And verse 8 starts the same way that little part there at the end of 5 starts. So that's where we get into our text. You can look there in verse 8. This is where we got. This is what we have in front of us. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing it is the gift of God. So we get the first statement that he made uh, from the previous at the, the end of verse 5. Now, uh, some, some points language-wise that's important. I want you to, again, look at your Bibles. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Then it's going to use this word here. And this, that word this, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay, I've tried to continue to rack my brain about how we can walk through um, the statement that we try to continue to go at almost every week. It feels redundant. It feels like, how do we explain this over and over again? That it's by grace and by grace alone that you've been saved. I've tried to think of analogies or examples, and I'm just depleted of them. I don't know what to do outside of put the text in front of us and go, it says it again. Like, here's what we do at Redemption. We just read the Bible and teach it. We're just going through it, and you're going, well, it just feels like it's talking about the same thing over. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It is. By grace, you've been saved. Now, when you see this word this and it's, for you theological neat necks, you may ask the question, well, what is the this? And some of you have been taught that it's, it's a certain, certain word in this text, right? So it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and this. Here's the question. Is the this referring to grace or is it referring to faith? Now, um, in the Reformed community, it seems to be assumed that it's just talking about faith. Meaning, you would not have believed on Jesus Christ without him giving you faith. And I want to affirm that. Yes and amen, that is biblically true. But I don't think that this and it, in uh, verse 8, are referring to faith. I'm not saying they couldn't refer to faith, but the way that they're structured in Greek being neuter, noun, uh, neuter nouns and compared to the feminine in this and that, it, I don't think it cor- correlates. But that's also true of grace. When you see this and it, I think it's a full comprehend, uh, a comprehensive statement referring back to all of verses 4 through 7. So here's why I explain this. Here's why it's important. I think what, what the text up to this point has been saying is, you've been saved, look what Jesus did, He's awesome. We've brought a lot of sin to the table. He saved us in despite of that. He's going to put us at the right hand of the glory of the Father of God. This is all true. Grace, faith, salvation. All of that is a gift of God. That is a gift of God. Okay? So for those of you who 
honestly care about stuff like that. I just want to kind of put that in there. I don't think that it's a faith or grace. But here's why this is important. He's now going to explain something based on on this idea that we've been saved by grace. So let's really get at the nitty-gritty. Here it is, verse 9. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, here's what I know to be true. In all the years that I've been a pastor, and forget just being a pastor, of being a Christian now for... 18 years, 17, 18 years, not at one point have I ever talked to another believer and they have just outright gone, yeah, no, no, I I mean, I did it. Yes, God was there, of course. But I mean, I saved myself. Not at one point has that ever happened. No Christian has ever made that statement that that I am aware of in my interactions. Maybe you have met such a person need to rework some things with them. But regardless, when we read this word boast, I don't think boasting has ever been brought to the table in such a way that the believer comes and goes, it was me. It was totally me. And so you read this and you feel like you could just swipe to the side. Eh, nah, go. That's not, that's not something I'm interested in. But the Bible's ninja sneaky, y'all. Ninja sneaky. So here's, here's, here's what I know. We're sitting here and we're going, yes, Sean, I know. By grace, I've been saved through faith. It's not my own doing. It's not my own works. Because then, then I'd be able to boast. I know. But, but here's what's crazy about the word boast. Um, there's two important things about the word boast. Every time it appears in the New Testament, it's in the middle tense. And I'm not trying to drop a bunch of language stuff on you, but this is important here. The middle tense meaning um, it's not in the active and it's not in the passive. It's, it's somewhere in the middle it's, or it's both. Meaning um, there's this kind of, yeah, yeah, God did it, but, but I also kind of did it. Now, here's the, the other sneaky thing about the Bible, just being a ninja. Um, the word for boast, the, the root of the word boast in Greek is where we get our word neck from. Now, why does that matter? If your neck can talk, I just, I need you to imagine. Listen how sneaky Paul is with this word. If your neck can talk, here, here it is. Yeah, the brain's the most important, duh. I mean, the head, it controls everything else. But let's be straight. Who holds up the head? I mean, let, let's be honest. I, I know, I know, I know. The brain, the, the head is the most important thing. We don't got the lungs working, the heart's not working, the brain's telling it to do all those things. I get it. But if we can just be honest for a second, who holds up the head? Who controls the head, right? Now, here's why the Bible's sneaky. Because this underlining tone of, man, man, I, I know Jesus saved me. You're making this declaration as a believer. It wasn't your own doing. It was all a gift of God. But when push comes to shove, I mean, you did a little bit, right? Here's how you could know. Here's, listen, here's how the Bible's sneaky and how it's getting at you like a ninja and you're not even aware about it. Here's how you could know if you do this when things don't go your way. Immediately what comes to the forefront of your mind, what rises to the top is the score. You're, you, you, you reveal your cards immediately before the Lord when something doesn't go your way. But God, I, I'm this. Like, I, I'm straight at church every Sunday. I feel like I'm a good husband. I, here's the call. I'm not Hitler. Good for you. Okay? So I, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm doing all these right things. Even as a believer, what comes to the forefront to know if you're sneaky boasting is you show that you're keeping score. You show... When something doesn't go your way, you feel like you have all this clout of righteousness, this big pile of righteousness. You put it before God and you go, God, see? That's how you know if you've been sneaky boasting. 
And, and this is what, what, what the Bible's putting in front of us. Yes and amen. No believers outright going, I did it. I did it. You're right. That's not you. You might be sneaky boasting. You might be like a neck. You know what, what God has done. You know and recognize the gift of Jesus Christ. It was not a result of works, but it is his doing, him and him alone. But, and it's sneaky. It's super sneaky. And so I just, I, I, I want to put in front of you, if you are a believer, then beware of sneaky boasting. Beware of that sneaky pride because over and over your flesh wants to credit, your flesh wants to keep the score, and the Bible's going to continue to push you in the opposite direction. Now here's where, where it takes a turn. I want you to look at your Bibles again at verse 10. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's stop. So we're talking about grace. Here's what I want you to do. Look at your Bibles. Don't look at me for a second. I want you to look at Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to look at the first 10 verses. The first three verses, as you're looking at the Bible, and you're all looking at me right now, as you're looking at, the th- looking at the first three verses, it's going to describe where you were, remember? So it's starting, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The next four verses, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and then even 8 and 9 are going to describe what he now has done, okay? So five, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 describes what he has not done. You were dead, he's made you alive, and now what verse 10 is going to do, it's going to begin to talk about works, So if by grace you've been saved, through faith, this is God's gift. It's not a work of your own. Now we're going to talk about the response to that grace. But I need you to see what's going on because it says you were dead, he's made you alive, and now you start living. So if someone straight was rose from the dead, like Jesus rose from the dead, they were dead in the grave. Let's let's give them two weeks dead in the grave. And they rose from the dead. Okay, and you sat there and watched it. And then a month later, you, you, you go and visit them, and they've sat on their couch. Nothing for a month. Just sat on their couch and watched TV. And someone come up to you, like, hey, where's Bob? Like, is he alive? You, you, you in, 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 um, in all integrity, could go, well, yes, he's alive. But, man, for a month, he's just been sitting here watching TV. I, I would say he's alive, but he's not living. And this is why what makes a house a home, right? Every cliche, uh, the, the nuances, the, the, the depth, the culture, the relationship that exists, the movement that is there. And what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is doing is it's saying, you were dead, he's made you alive, and now he's calling you to live. He's calling you to living. Now, that, that's kind of an outline, but here's what I need you to understand. We have mixed up grace with sneaky boasting so often. So, it's so common to our heart's language, that we also miss what proper works are. That it's almost as if we have in this moderate Christian culture, we can think in some way, somehow, you can be the same person when you come to know Jesus Christ now as you were 10 years ago when you came to know him. Like, so you come to know Jesus Christ 10 years down the road, you're the same person. Let's be, the Bible does not have a category for the American Christianity that's on the table there. Do you understand? Let me prove it to you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9, through 9, just listen to this. Listen, because some of us want lists. We want to be able to rack in our mind things that we're going to do. So listen to, to uh, 2 Peter. It's going to give you a list. And hear how it describes this. You ready? Verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. You got faith, add 
to it. Virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. You want the list? There's the list. You've got faith. Now grow in that faith. Add to your faith. Because if you do, you ready? Listen. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to add the word but there, but it's not there. It's the word for. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forsaken, uh, or I'm sorry, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So you want to know what it is? Yes and amen. You have been saved by grace. You have been made alive. But if you are not now living, responding to that grace, let me just, here's what the Bible says. You are nearsighted, blind, and you have forgotten. You've forgotten. If there's not something that, that causes you to respond to the goodness and grace of God in movement, in action, in living, hear me, then there's no grace of God. And I say that in love. You've been lied to. You think the wide path is the way, but it's not. There's a cutting away of your old man every day. Crucifixion is not sexy. Discipline is unbelievably hard, but God has called us to it day in and day out to respond in love to the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. But we've mixed up what works are. So let's stop. Let's break down verse 10. And let's let, as Titus 2 tells us, the grace of God train us in righteousness. Because look, you ready for this? Here's the first part of it. Here's, in talking about works, uh, I feel like when I read this, I want to add, but rather, meaning at the end of 9, so let's say, it's not a result of works, but rather, we are his workmanship. So here's the first, first point when it comes to works, and this is huge. You're not doing the work. You are the work. Do you hear what that said? So it's not, when we talk about good works, we've got to get out of the mindset of you doing the work, but rather, you're the workmanship. You are the work. Now listen, this is big, this is huge, because we're going from doing language to being language. We've just gone from you doing works to you now being the workmanship. So um, my daughter Eve, she's five years old. Right now I got the weekend with all four kids by myself awesome. Um, and Candace has gone to California for the weekend. And so, uh, you know, I'm still trying to get projects done around the house. And my five-year-old daughter, Eve, she loves to come help me. Okay. So she usually takes the wood, the extra wood that I have. I buy her when we're at Home Depot, a 99 cent thing of glue, wood glue. And she takes all the extra wood and she just stacks it up and some kind of, she calls it her project. And so she glues it all there together. She has some paint that she puts on. I'm forced to take a picture of it and then we can throw it away. Um, so she does her projects. Okay. All the while, while she's helping me, she asks and says it probably four or five times. Daddy, I'm your good helper, huh? I'm your good helper, huh? Now, now check this out. I can with integrity say yes. Here's why. Because if she says, I'm a good helper who gets things done, if I'm basing my relationship with Eve on productivity, no, Eve, you are a terrible helper. (laughs) But unbeknownst to herself, she doesn't even know this. She's not using doing language. She is using being language. I am your good helper. Here's the deal. 
I'm not judging her productivity on what she gets done. I'm just glad my sweetie's with me. Baby, I'm just glad you are my good helper. I'm not trying to, I don't have this, I don't need you. I know she doesn't know how to frame a window. I'm not expecting that from her. I, I know at the end of the day, I just like her being around me. She's my good helper. She is someone. I'm not looking for her to get things done. And this is where the conversation on works has to be turned on its head. Because you continue to process getting things done for God. But that's not the way the Bible's talking about. That's why in Galatians 5, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The reason it's putting that in front of you is a tree that is of a certain brand and kind produces that kind of fruit. So I'm not going to the lemon tree and making apples stay on it. I know that lemon trees will produce lemons. Apple trees will produce apples. An apple tree is what it is. And that's the type of fruit it produces. Now, what Paul does with this idea is he doubles down. Listen to the next statement. Uh, Created, so uh, not a result of works, uh, uh, for we are his workmanship, okay? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word created helps understand this idea even further. So there's two ideas of understanding created, the, the word created, and it actually comes from Latin words. This idea of ex nihilio, and, uh, it comes from the idea of creating something out of nothing. Just forget the, the, we'll forget the Latin words. There's an idea that you can create something out of nothing. This is Genesis language. That God takes nothing and he makes something. He makes matter. Only God has the ability to do that. Then we, as his creatures, have the ability to create something out of something. So maybe you like building or painting or music. You're able to take music that God made and put together beats. You're able to take numbers that God gave us and create equations. You're able to do all this. You can take something and make something. But only God can take nothing and make something. That's how the, the, uh, uh, the language in Genesis rolls itself out. What's interesting about this word created here is it's not taking something and making something. It's taking nothing and making something. Meaning, here you were, dead in your sins. You had nothing to offer. It wasn't your church attendance. It wasn't what music you didn't listen to. It wasn't what movies you didn't watch. It wasn't that you avoided alcohol. You brought nothing to the table. You were a mess, a wreck in your sin. And out of nothing, he woke you up. He created you, physically absolutely true, but the spirit within you was out of nothing. That's the language that's used. Now, the reason that is important is when he made what he made, listen to this, you ready? He gives us a four, created in Christ Jesus for something, for good work. So back to being language, he designed you, he made you, he woke your spirit up for a reason. So let's go back to building. Um, we decided we have chickens and bunnies and, and turtles. We decided to let them go in and out of our front yard now. So I got to put uh, chicken wire around our fence, and I had to build these gates around the two entrances. So I built this gate. It's about a three-and-a-half-foot gate, maybe two feet wide. Put a latch on it, spring, done and done, right? Easy uh, a little project. Okay, let's say you come to my house, and you walk by the gate, and you go, that's an awesome gate. I go, yeah, thanks, man. Eve didn't help, but thanks, yeah, okay? And you go, that's so, why, why don't? Could you build me an exact gate like that for my front door? And I'm going, I mean, yes, I could, but that's not going to make any sense. You're going to take this three-foot-tall gate you're going to put on your front door. It's not going to really cover it. No, no, no. Just, I, let's take this gate and put it on the front door. 
Yeah, the problem is, man, that's not what it was made for. So we unscrew your door, we put on this gate, and it looks ridiculous. It doesn't cover all the way to the end, it doesn't go all the way up top. You're just wasting air, and you're like, that's it. No, the reality is, I made that gate for a very specific purpose. When I fashioned this gate, I, me- I measured out the dimensions of what it ne- I wanted it to be, how, clo- how tall, how wide, and I put it where it needed to be. If I try to use that gate anywhere else, it, it, it pushes against the purposes in which I created it. So this is huge because, listen, at the end of the day, this is why porn is detrimental to your soul. Because you were created anew in Christ Jesus only because of what God has done for a good reason, for good purposes. And you see these good purposes. The next section is he prepared them beforehand that you should walk in them. So you're looking at these good purposes. He made you for this purpose and you're trying to operate as something else. You're trying to be a gate on the front door. And you can't help but wonder why things don't feel right. Why when you begin to walk in the dark of sin, you feel out of sync. Believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, because you weren't created to do that. You were literally created anew. Your spirit was awoke anew for good works. So this is huge because it's not your guilt. That, the, the guilt is not the reason you avoid porn. It's not even because you let down your spouse or your friends or your community or even yourself or dare I even say God. At the end of the day, what happens in bringing glory to Jesus Christ in avoiding sin is because you are, not just because you do. Ask the Pharisees. If you just do, if you just move and act and do things like a robot, regimentally, you've missed it. God has put good works. He's created you to be like this. And here you are as an apple tree trying to produce lemons. Listen, it's not like he's looking at the whole scheme and going, "Ah, I know sleeping with someone before marriage, it's way better. I know that. I know if you cheat on your spouse, it's going to be way better. Duh, I just don't want you to have fun. This this is crazy. He's not some killjoy. He knows how blood works. He knows where it flows. He's the one who created it to do that. He knows what you're thinking, how your, your wiring goes about, why you want to do these things, why your propensity is to go in that direction. He knows where true joy can be found, and it's in the path that he has put in front of you of good works. And we walk in them in faith and trust, because at the end of the day, that is where most joy is found. That is what brings most glory to God. But we've mixed it up. We've stopped using being language, and we use doing language. So you think, because you come to church, you don't listen, you don't watch, whatever it is. I have a friend who recently, um, they're not a big drinker, and they just got smashed. It was on accident. Well, I don't know how accident it can be, but just drink more than they were ready for. And here's what's crazy. You know, he, he texts me and he's like, he's like, I'm just, I'm never drinking again. It was crazy. He's not a big drinker. And immediately what came to his mind was a recognition. I, and this is what he said in the text. I just know that's not what alcohol's for. I mean, listen to that. L- listen to that language. Alcohol is a very specific, it, it is okay to drink. You're believers. It's okay to drink. God has made it. He's thought of fermentation. He put all that together. And when you enjoy alcohol outside of the confines in which it's meant to be enjoyed, you're no longer walking in good works, i.e., you're becoming less human, bro. You're not enjoying life for all it's worth. No, no, no. Slowly but surely, 
you're becoming what you should not be as a believer. You're pushing against the grain of your soul and you're becoming less human. And so when it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Every time you see the word walk in the New Testament, I think almost every single time, at least 95% of the time, know it's a synonym for life, live in them. That you should live in this direction. Know that God is putting in front of you over and over to bring glory to himself, how to be human again. He is teaching you how to be human again. Some of you have spent 30 years of your life pushing against how it, what it means to truly be human. And now he's laying it out in front of you again. Here's how you can be fully human and bring glory to me. Here's how joy can be found. Now there's a word that we skipped over that's really important in all of this. Um, and some of you know this passage really well. I mean, some of you probably memorized it on accident. You've heard it so often. Um, but the, the word there, the way that this uh, starts, the fifth word in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, is a real important word. Um, and here's why. As some of you know that it's in Greek, it's the word poema. And it's, if you can hear it, when I say poema, uh, you can hear what word we get in English from. That's the word poem. John Stott actually says the best way to translate this word is work of art. Now, here's why this is interesting. By grace we have been saved. He has made us something. But, but somewhere along the line, you've decided, as in, in Galatians chapter 3, to take this following Jesus thing on your own again. And now you're trying to do again. You're trying to, to, to work on earning God's grace again. But the reason this poema uh, word is so important is you're not the painter. You're the painting. He is doing something within you that you are to, to allow to sit back passively cho- or actively choose to be passive in what he wants to do in your life. Now, now here's what makes this whole thing tie all together, okay? Every single word that I've used up to this point in the noun form, every you, every time you see it, is plural. Even poema is plural. His workmanship. Now, now, now I, I need you to understand um, the next three weeks at all of our redemptions, we're going to talk about racial, racial reconciliation. The rest of this chapter, the beginning of chapter three, going into chapter four, jeez, uh, five, six, are all the response of works. It's, it's all now telling us, giving us handlebars and how we are to respond to the grace of God. And the next three weeks, we're going to talk about racial reconciliation because Ephesians is talking about it. Now, around us, everywhere. Facebook, every social media platform, CNN, Fox News, all the politicians, everybody has an opinion on racial reconciliation. Here's what's crazy about what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is putting in front of us. God is taking all of us and together we are his painting. And we are his painting in such a way that the world is to look at us and go, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. It's in the church that the world is to find the answers. It's in the church that racial reconciliation, racial harmony and unity, the way parenting, the way being a husband or a spouse, that everything that we can delineate as we pull and extract from Ephesians is put in front of us. It's in the church together. We are to be the living embodiments of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And the world is to go, who painted that picture? That, that together, we're, we're in this God together, is forming us. He's convicting, and you've got your opinions. And I'm trying to put you in front, put this in front of you. Lay them down. 
lay them down, and together, let's explore what being a true workmanship of God means. So I finished with Stott. This is what he says as he finishes this uh, uh, verse 10, because I think it's important as we understand going forward in mission and understanding where we were and who we are now. Uh, this is what Stott says, finishing at the end of verse 10. And then, like I said, the next couple of weeks, we're going to get at some of these racial reconciliation conversations. It says this, thus the paragraph ends as it began with our human walk. It's a Hebrew idiom for our manner of life. Formerly, we walked in trespasses and sins in which the devil had trapped us. Now we walk in good works, which God has eternally planned for us to do. The contrast is complete. It is a contrast between two lifestyles, evil and good. And behind them, two masters, the devil and God. What could possibly have affected such a change? Just this, a new creation by the grace and power of God. If the grace of God is within you, if, if you've experienced the power of God in knowing Jesus Christ, nobody goes into a courtroom and like, sorry, judge, I was late. Okay, well, why were you late? Yeah, crazy story. I was hit by three cars on the way over here, all going 80 miles an hour. No, you're a liar. If you were hit by three cars on the way over here, you wouldn't be walking into this courtroom. There's a natural, listen, if this is true, then this has to be true. And if the grace of God has come into your life, There is no casual Christianity. Wake up! There's no just doing this thing. There's only being. There's only knowing the hearts of our Father in such a way to reflect it to the world as his poema. Let's be in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace and goodness towards us. Thank you that together you've called us to be in this, to reflect to the world as we love you, we search for you, the goodness of you to them, that they would see the beauty of your kingdom. They would see what it means to truly be human. They would see that the enemy, the schemes of the devil have blinded them And they think they're enjoying sex the way they are. They think they're enjoying technology the way they are. They think they're enjoying alcohol the way they are. They think they're enjoying money the way they are. They think they're enjoying friendship and family and community the way that they are. But it is broken. And only in you can we find what it truly means to be human. That you've created within us something new that only you could have done. I pray that we would recognize we were created to do good works. Holy Spirit, convict us to walk in that direction. We love you. We thank you. Jesus, we desperately, desperately need you. In your name we pray. Amen.